Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thanks for listening to us today. How are you doing, Ben? Pretty good. Not too tired from all the yard work we've been doing this long weekend? No, no, not too, too tired. It um, it got a little cloudy today, so that always makes me feel like a little tired, a little like... Malays. Yeah, but, uh, you know, nothing to complain about too much uh, other than the continuing pandemic that has no end in sight. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Zombies rise from the grave. That's not insensitive at all. <laughs> uh, well, what are we watching today? Today, Sarah, we are watching Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957. Oh, 57, we're in a new year. That's right. Uh, And we're going to be in 1957 for a while. Um, It has a record number of genre pictures uh, released in it. Um, What's the number? I don't know. You can't just say record number and not have like 100? I I don't know, Sarah. Okay. (laughs) But uh, it's definitely the height of the sci-fi horror monster movie drive-in theater boom and this movie kind of ended up becoming like prime example yeah emblematic emblematic um this is roger corman's time yes absolutely and um i think it was mostly the title of this movie Mm. that kind of like struck a chord as becoming like a um emblem (laughs) becoming like a go-to sort of phrase for like a stock monster movie of this era i will say and maybe this shows my age and maturity level but when i hear attack of the crab monsters i just think of that south park episode with the crab people oh okay crab people crab people just like crab talk like people yeah see like i see that and i think attack of the killer tomatoes which is uh much later film with much more much more parody in nature yes attack of the killer tomatoes attack of the killer tomatoes they'll beat you bash you squish you mash you chew you up for brunch and finish you off for dinner or lunch so we as we've already kind of said this is roger corman yeah so we're back to the lower end of the budget scale And uh, the last Roger Corman picture we watched was It Conquered the World. Mm -hmm. Now, since then, Roger Corman has made uh, two films. The first being his female-led Western Gunslinger, and the second being the drama film Naked Paradise, both of which starred Beverly Garland. And uh, Gunslinger had continued Corman's collaboration with screenwriter Charles B. Griffith, who, if you remember, had come aboard for rewrites on It Conquered the World after Lou Russoff dropped out in order to go to his brother's funeral in Canada. So Griffith and Corman agreed after Gunslinger that they wanted to make another science fiction film together. And so they began working on a project that would become the film Not of This Earth. Mm. Realizing, of course, that the picture would need to be paired with another film in order to do a proper double feature, uh, the two created the outrageously titled Attack of the Crab Monsters, which would then come to be the top of the double bill. How did it come to be the top? Uh, Because at a certain point in production, Corman decided that this was the A picture and (laughs) Not of This Earth would be the B picture. Okay. It was Corman who came up with the title, and he instructed Griffith to write a script by that title that would feature suspense or action in every scene. So either something is happening or the audience feels like something is going to happen in every single scene. Interesting. Uh, He presented this to Griffith as like an experiment. Like, can we make a movie that has nothing but suspenseful or action packed scenes? And Griffith joked that what Corman was really doing was just saving himself the trouble of cutting out those scenes later. Like, instead of, you know, having a bunch of boring exposition that you're just going to cut out of the movie later, just don't write those scenes in to begin with. Sure. 
we just watched a movie that they wanted everything to be super excited and pumped up to 10, but then it didn't have anywhere to go. The she creature. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, Corman wanted to make a movie this time that would just be like nothing but action and suspense. Think of the B-movies that we've been seeing and how much of them are based on like, how much screen time can we fill where nothing's happening? Where it's just like people walking from one place to another or something like that, right? Yeah. So that's what he didn't want to have. He got the script from Griffith and was like, no, this needs to be tighter. Like this, we need to cut this down even more. This needs to be shorter. Okay. Uh, so Griffith took the script back and retyped it out with um, smaller margins, <laughs> so that it would have a lower page count. Um, <laughs> so he did what a lot of first-year university students try. Yeah, and got the page count down to under sixty pages. And Roger Carman was like, "Dope, let's do it." Um, <laughs> The film's budget was $70,000. That's not bad for a Corman flick. Uh, It is a little lower than like some of his most recent pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, But he started with like 20,000. Yeah, like the she creature was 104,000. And I mean, that wasn't Corman, but that was in the same wheelhouse. Yeah, same kind of people. Um, So this was 70,000. And unlike all of Corman's pictures up to this point, uh, this was not to be released by American international pictures, AIP. Okay. Um, this was to be released by allied artists, formerly known as monogram. Um, because Walter Mersch, uh, the head of allied artists had sort of noticed Corman's AIP successes and was interested in working with him and brought him on to allied artists to make a film called the undead. This movie, uh, attack of the crab monsters and, not of this earth, uh, the second picture that it was teamed up with, uh, were both made and finished and out in theaters before The Undead, the movie that Corman came over to allied artists to make, would be completed. Are we going to watch that? Yes. In making Attack of the Crab Monsters, Charles Griffith, the screenwriter, had recently seen Jacques Cousteau's uh, film The Silent World. And that really got him jazzed about like underwater photography. So he convinced Corman to let him direct the underwater sequences for a hundred bucks. <laughs> and Corman went with that because then that meant he could take that opportunity to schedule filming for Not of This Earth, leaving teaching the actors how to dive and like going and doing all that underwater stuff to Griffith. Um, despite the fact that Griffith had no idea how to shoot underwater photography or how to do diving or how to teach actors how to dive or, or any of it, any of it at all. Um, but these are the things you got to do when you're directing both halves of the double feature this time around. Yes. So the underwater sequences were shot at Marine land <laughs> um, with most of the location shooting happening at Bronson Canyon. Sure. Cinematography throughout uh, was by Corman's regular DOP Floyd Crosby. And the film's lead actress, Pamela Duncan, was not a fan of doing the underwater photography. Uh, She was afraid of the water. Sure. Uh, She thought that she would get eaten by sharks. Fair. Uh, She didn't like the scuba equipment and didn't feel confident using it. Yep. Um, She was a 32-year-old former beauty pageant winner. Uh, who had gone into acting. She had a very short acting career appearing in small movies and TV through the 1950s. The film's male lead is 29-year-old actor Richard Garland, recently ex-husband of Corman's favorite actress, Beverly Garland. Um, Are either of them related to Judy Garland? No. Did I already ask that? Probably. Okay. So Beverly Garland would be starring in Not of This Earth, the other picture, while Richard starred in this movie. (laughs) Uh, Richard's acting career uh, and his marriage and his life were ultimately all victims of his alcoholism, uh, which would claim him at age 41 in 1969. Oh, shit. Also featured in this cast is Russell Johnson, who we previously saw in It Came From Outer Space and also had a role in This Island Earth, but who would gain pop culture notoriety as the professor on the classic series Gilligan's Island in the 1960s. Paul Blaisdell turned down 
making the giant crab monsters for this flick because he felt they could not be made for the budget that he would be working with on this picture. Huh. Um, Because they needed to make two. Sure, that's why the title is plural. That's right. They needed to make two of the crab monsters. And uh, the $70,000 budget was a little bit lower than normal. So Blaisdell wouldn't do it. (laughs) So instead, a company called Dice Incorporated... (laughs) <laughs> uh, made the giant crabs really taking a gamble there yeah they made them for four hundred dollars each oh wow uh they were paper mache skins over styrofoam stuffing on an aluminum frame the claws worked sort of like giant marionettes they were on piano wire with like guys off stage like moving them around on fishing lines and then they had performers inside them who would squat Uh, inside them in order to like move the crabs around and operate the eyes wait if they're paper mache i'm presuming that these have to deal with water at some point the bigger problem was that the crabs would float in water oh yeah because it's all styrofoam yeah and like just aluminum and shit so in order to get the crabs to actually go underwater they had to weigh them down with rocks (laughs) i'm sure that that's super safe yeah with the uh, performers inside yeah The title of Attack of the Crab Monsters won the movie a lot of attention before release, uh, particularly from comedians uh, riffing on it. It sort of was the like snakes on a plane of its day in terms of like just people making fun of it based on the title before it ever came out. And it sort of became, like I said, emblematic of this entire like sci-fi monster movie boom because the title was so easy to parody. Uh, But... When the double feature of Attack of the Crab Monsters and Not of This Earth was released on February 10th, 1957, uh, it grossed $1,000,000. Well, yeah, it's coming out right before Valentine's Day. That's right. You take your date to it. Uh, and that's on the combined budget for both movies of $170,000. Wow. Uh, Just rolling in the dough. Yeah, so that made Attack of the Crab Monsters Roger Corman's most profitable film yet. I wonder if that's why he switched it to being the A picture then, because he knew that the name was so ridiculous, lean into it. Exactly. Uh, Not of This Earth got better critical reception, but Corman believed that Attack of the Crab Monsters was like what was driving the show. People were coming to see that movie. Yeah, Um, kind of like get them into the seats mm -hmm. with something ridiculous and then wow them critically with the follow-up exactly uh corman believed that the ludicrous title and the -the over-the-top poster were key to getting people in but he felt that the key to the ultimate success of the double feature because of course this is back in the days when like a movie's success was based on long term Mm -hmm. success too it wasn't just like oh you have a good opening weekend and then who cares if like everybody hates it after that as long as you make your money opening weekend like that economy didn't exist right you had to make money the whole time and Corman believed that the reason why the movie was so successful was because after everybody was in with the ludicrous title the movie itself was successful because of the all killer no filler script basically (laughs) um Corman felt like that was very very successful the like cut to the chase mentality Um, And it remained one of his favorite pictures of his filmography due to its financial success, such that he would not allow it to be remade later when people approached him for the rights. Interesting. All killer, no filler. I'm going to hold Corman to that. Yeah, so uh, we'll see what we think of Attack of the Crab Monsters. It's not going on the list unless I see someone get literally ripped in half by these crab monsters. Just completely eviscerated, like going through a pair of scissors okay hey that's what all killer no filler says to me ben Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. give me that gore yeah what have i what have i become (laughs) (laughs) so attack the crab monsters is available on dvd and blu-ray from shout factory it's streaming on tubi and you can find it on our youtube playlist If you would like to find that YouTube playlist, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957, directed by Roger Corman. See you on the other side, everybody. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Scream Scene, everybody. We just finished watching Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957, directed by Roger Corman. Sarah, what did you think? All right. Yeah. There was, uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, no, all killer, no filler. That's right. That I would definitely describe this film as that. Yeah, you wanted someone to get like chopped in half by pincers in like the first scene and you you basically got it pretty much yeah uh someone gets their head chopped off yeah decapitated yep so it's a, it's a lot of fun oh yeah it, um, it makes little sense but it's no, a lot of fun no the pseudoscience in this is a whole new level of dumb um <laughs> and like the effects are very fake and the cheapness and the stock footage it's all super obvious but this movie's like 62 minutes long so all it needed to do was like keep up a certain level of like fun and like action and suspense and like forward momentum and it did all of that so i'm i'm pretty happy with it yeah uh color this one a success yeah this movie does not fuck around Mm -hmm. uh why don't you run us through the plot sarah so we start with an arrival at an island where uh the nuclear fallout from bikini atoll drifted and kind of landed on this island and so there is a second research group arriving here to study the effects of this fallout and it's the second research group as the first group mysteriously disappeared this group includes dr dale drewer land biologist Mm -hmm. um dr martha hunter marine biologist Dr. Jules Devereaux, who studies bacteria. Dr. Carl Weigand, who is a nuclear physicist. And Dr. James Carson, who is a geologist. And they are also joined by two seamen and a Hank Chapman, uh, who is a technician, uh, who are all here for basically demolition to to help the scientists blow things up to get samples and also kind of protect them because the first group went missing that sort of thing and as we alluded to when we came back from the break this group experiences tragedy almost immediately as a deckhand for lack of a better word falls into the water as uh, they're bringing supplies ashore and gets his head chopped off yeah they're, they're dropped off at this island by the navy and yeah. So this is like a Navy boy who, <laughs> who is now headless. The second tragedy they experience is uh, the plane, naval plane, that dropped them off, uh, goes to take off, and then inexplicably explodes. Yeah, just fucking, just explodes. Upon takeoff. Mm-hmm. There's also a storm brewing, so they're unable to establish radio contact with the naval base that's nearby. They do note that the last research team here has left a notebook. Uh, Now, this notebook was kept by the research team lead, Dr. McLean, and it kind of is like, you know, the usual, like, we were doing research, and suddenly leaves off halfway through a sentence uh, as they are talking about this killer worm creature that they discovered. Yeah, it's, it's your classic, like clue that you would discover in like a drawer in a survival horror game (laughs) that night martha hears dr mclean's voice saying martha or rather dr hunter i'm over here come rescue me or whatever um i've found research things so she goes um out into the night and follows this voice to a pit Uh, We cannot escape pits on the show. Also at the pit is Dr. Carson. He also heard um, Dr. McLean's voice, uh, which Martha thinks is a little strange because Dr. McLean was saying, Martha, Dr. Hunter, specifically, I am talking to you. And this pit was not there. Yes, this pit is new. They discovered it in the morning because every so often there are earthquakes uh, as new pits and the geology island formation shifts and changes yeah this island is like changing under their feet like it's the fucking genesis planet <laughs> like it's made of proto matter <laughs> like it's not stable so dr carson is like no I, i'm going down into this pit this is where mclean said to go 
And as he is descending, he screams and falls and Martha faints because the line went slack. Um, now this brings the rest of the team over to investigate. And they're like, oh man, like he must be dead. And then they all hear Dr. Carson's voice uh, like, no, my only my leg is broken. I'm not quite dead yet. Mm-hmm. So everyone except for Dr. Drewer, Dale, um, and Martha go to look for Carson. Um, Dale takes Martha back to the house to recuperate. As we cut between the cave team and the house team, there is a crab attack at the house. Um, now this crab is like giant. We don't fully see it on screen. And it deliberately breaks their radio as well as like demolishes the lab to eat the lab mice. Yeah, these crabs are like small sedan sized yeah like a mini cooper yeah the cave team is looking for carson and keeps hearing his voice they get to where he fell and there's no sign of him and so it's like well that's that's weird he must have dragged himself somewhere as they're going through they discover a crab and they're shooting at it no effect i i forget the order of operations but dr Weigand, who's the nuclear physicist, deduces that this is a liquid, a liquid energy being like mercury. So mercury is a liquid, but behaves like a solid because it likes to, you know, stay with itself. And that's why bullets are going through because it's not fully solid. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so what happens is they're like shooting this crab and bullets just go right through it because it like seals up like the, the tissue seals up behind the bullet. It's like trying to shoot a pool, like a swimming pool. Yeah. Like it's not going to work. And then the they kill this crab because they like throw a grenade or something. And instead of like the grenade blowing it up, it like loosens some stalactites from the cave ceiling that fall into it. And because it's impaled, it's dead. But like Dr. Vigan's like, if you took the stalactite out, it would like reseal and come back to life. Yeah. Like that villain from Terminator 2. Sure. Um, so, so the explanation for these crabs is that, you know, the, the island was suffused with radiation from Bikini Atoll. And you know how in electricity you have like loose electrons that pass from like copper atom to copper atom creating the current. Well, these things just have like loose loose atoms. atoms. And so they are like... As Sarah was saying, they are like liquids, but they're liquids with a constant form and shape. Like like yeah. like like as if they're being held together by a crab-shaped electromagnetic field. Yeah. And you know, but they were crabs at one point, but now because they're liquids, if they eat something, they absorb <laughs> it into their mass, which is why they're getting bigger, right? So like if I pour coffee into water, I now have coffee water that's twice the size. So when they eat people, they not only absorb the mass of the people, they absorb their minds and memories as well. Yes. So like this crab is telepathic and that's mm-hmm. why they've been hearing McLean's voice and Carson's voice. Little footnote, really hand note here is um, during them going through the cave, uh, there is a little bit of a cave in. And Dr. Devereaux's hand gets cut off by falling rocks. Yes. Just to kind of show like how sharp these rocks are. Um, and these are the same rocks that impale the, the crab. So he loses his right hand. Because they impaled this crab, they are able to get um, a sample, a.k.a. they take off a big one of its claws. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they make these discoveries of like mercury liquid blah 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 yeah how they figure out it's like atomic structure and And, stuff like that and this is when they also discovered that the crabs seemed to have been afraid of electricity at this point and the reason is is if they come into contact with electricity they just immediately turn to ash yeah because the the crab energy beings are negatively charged so if you hit them with a positive charge they just disintegrate of course. That's I learned that in high school, Ben. Right. <laughs> also, the crab that didn't get impaled by the cave-in is pregnant. 
Yes. The, as they are leaving after impaling the first crab, they see a second and she has like, you know, you don't really see it, but they describe, oh, she has like the eggs underneath her and, and stuff. So she's about to have like a ton of little, little crabs. Yeah. Martha in her capacity as the marine biologist is able to be like, ah, she's pregnant. So we know that like, it's trouble. We can't just like leave these telepathic colony intelligence man-eating crabs here yeah also they're stuck here like no one's coming to rescue them so. yeah um now more pits are being made as the crab builds tunnels underneath and kind of changes the formation of the island and and okay so here's the other thing the crabs aren't just like tunneling with their claws because they're energy beings they can like yeah. zap the ground like like as if they can like fire like radiation from their claws we never see them do this but this is like we know that this is how they're tunneling because the earth is um glazed like when you like nuke a place and it just like turns all the earth into into glass and so like the crabs have like energy beam powers which presumably is how they blew up the plane yeah, I guess. They never um, really explain what happened. And they're they're fucking around with the geology of the island specifically to trap the scientists. Yeah, make it so they have nowhere to run. Yes. Now, the sailors, the two seamen, um, have been staying, like, in a tent on the beach to, like, watch out for things. They get attacked and killed. That um, seems like they got, like, a raw deal. Like, the scientists yeah. are all staying in this, like cushy house this like yeah this like miami beach house you know up a hill and they're on like a in a tent at the beach mm -hmm. um but most of the dynamite that they had was in this tent so that's all been destroyed so they have like very little demolition equipment left has been said the entire island's formation is being changed uh which has the byproduct of oil being discovered <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Weigand and Dale are walking along and Weigand is like, look, oil. <laughs> and you can just hear like in the academic's mind, like, we'll be rich. <laughs> I won't have to worry about getting tenure or publishing anymore. And so they're like, OK, well, let's go track down where this oil is coming from. And Dale is like, but the crabs, <laughs> Weigand. And Weigand's like. Yeah, but like we hear them clicking and clacking before they get to you. It's like a rattlesnake. It'll be fine. Well, it's not fine because they follow the oil to caves where Vigand meets his end. Yeah, he's killed by a crab. <laughs> well, so they had devised a um, Scooby-Doo-esque trap uh, to electrocute oh, right. the crab. And Vigand steps into it as he is trying to get away from the crab so he electrocutes himself and it's like he paralyzes himself so he's just laying there with a horrified look on his face as uh the crab comes up to him and devours him <laughs> then they start to hear his voice telepathically so the people who are left are dale martha and hank now dale and martha it's been made clear that like they aren't really engaged yet but like they're engaged to be engaged yeah you know they've been like college sweethearts this entire time you know they're going to be the breeding couple but hank who has just met martha finds this time right as vigan dies that this is this is the right time to kind of shoot your shot and say hey martha i think you're real swell and if we get off this island and it's just the two of us maybe you can think about me even though i'm not a doctor yeah uh, I saw you in a bathing suit today, so I'm thinking <laughs> that, like, maybe you and me. So at this point, the island is just some rocks with a radio tower. And um, Hank doesn't get his happy ending because the crab monster comes up onto the rocks as they are trying to get the radio tower to work. And Hank manages to get the tower electrified, so it blows up the crab but it also blows himself up. So he sacrifices himself, leaving Martha and Dale to likely starve or die of thirst before the Navy comes. Yeah, they're just on the like one rock that this island is made of left. I mean, they've got lots of crab meat. Yeah, but like... No butter, though. No butter. That's the key, Ben. Also, like, it's like radioactive. <laughs> Fair. But yeah, like the crab is dead. Hank is dead. 
And then like the two of them just like hug and then it's like the end. Yeah. Uh, which again, no, all killer, no filler. That's right. This movie's fucking great, Sarah. It's, it's bonkers. People die. There's a decapitation. <laughs> a guy loses his hand. The crabs are telepathic colony intelligences because they absorb the, the memories of the people they eat. Mm-hmm. But it's not like there's one crab that's like McLean and one crab that's like Vigand and one crab that's Carson. It's like there's one crab that's like three dudes and another crab that's like another three dudes. And they all still like maintain their personalities like Devereaux uh, when he gets eaten is still like all like, oh, I'm the French one. <laughs> like it's <laughs> I was going to have to figure out what to do with my left hand. <laughs> now I have a claw and a pincer. <laughs> like it's it's. <laughs> It's wild. Um, yeah, it's like the crab creatures are good-ish. Ish. It, like they, so they just look like giant crabs. And so that's done fairly all right, except their eyes. Yes. Their eyes are like these cartoon eyes that have eyelids and they just look so tired. They're not on stalks. They're just like on the face of the crab. Yeah, if you see the poster, you get a pretty good idea of what it mm-hmm. actually looks like, and it, it's so cute. If you Google search these crabs, like you'll get like stills of them, and it's like they look pretty bad. I will say that Corman does a pretty good job of like shooting them quickly and like quick cuts and like not showing like the whole crab in one shot or like keeping them moving fast or whatever, so that you aren't like being given big long shots to see how crappy these crabs are. Um, I think he's like been learning. Like, he's learning lessons. Like, we've said this before, but that's kind of the cool thing about these Corman movies is, like, seeing him, like, get just, like, a little better each time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, these, these crab creatures were pretty good. Yeah, for, like, the fact that you know that they were made for 400 bucks each. Like, the thing that is the best thing about this movie is that it moves so fast that, like, anything that you have a problem with is traded off by the fact that, like, stuff's always happening yeah like just don't think about something for too long right and the movie's not going to give you the time anyway exactly um there's always something like weird enough or wild enough going on to kind of hold your interest like someone's hand just got like knocked off by a rock like it's (laughs) and you know and the level of violence is pretty like shocking for a movie of this like time right have we ever had like a decapitation and like a hand get chopped off in like the same movie. Like, no, you know, by the time you have thought, wait, how the fuck do these crabs work again? (laughs) The movie's over. Right. And the ideas are so wild. It's so crazy that like, you know, what are you going to do? Say like, that's not how crabs work. Like, no, like the guy like finishes being like, yeah, so they're like liquids because of radiation. And you're like, okay and you just go with it like the ideas are so crazy right after you get like gore like you get like someone's hand getting cut off you know right well and and it's just like the pseudoscience isn't close enough to anything resembling reality that you can even like poke holes in it yeah it's not like crabs are eight-legged creatures and you're like yep okay who are made out of liquid it's like wait that's not true it's like no they it all of it is farcical radiation just did it it's yeah. fine don't worry about it um i will say that like the only problem with this no filler approach mm. is they have to keep making up new reasons to wander mm. case in point is the oil right like, <laughs> why do you keep going into the cave exactly right. um so, so it kind of makes people have to take stupid risks Um, but again, if you don't think about it too much, then like you're fine. And yeah. And again, the movie doesn't give you the time. It's an hour long. So you just watch it. It's just a fun little ride. There are exposition scenes, but like they're done so well. Yes. They Um, are very quick mm -hmm. and like not labored and integrated into how they are like entering the island for the first time right like we eat we pretty much get a scene where hank is telling the seamen who each of the doctors are right and we're getting that voiceover as each doctor happens to walk by the camera so it almost feels like you know when you get like a heist movie and it's like right this dude's demolitions this dude hacks open safes right um so it, it just i think is a, a 
an example of the constant forward movement. Yes, absolutely. Pretty much my only complaints about this movie are the ending is almost too sudden. Because, like, I did go, like, wait, are they going to get rescued? Like, (laughs) did they get a message off before the radio was destroyed? Like, are they just going to die on that island? Like, am I just supposed to ignore the fact that, like, they're alone there? Um, So the ending's (laughs) a little too sudden. The love triangle comes out of nowhere and feels a little bit, like, tacked on. Like, it's just, like, because we're down to three characters, so now we need something for them to be talking about. So I guess we'll just, like, throw in... Well, I think it was so you would care about Hank sacrificing himself. And this is the thing, though, is that, like, Hank dying isn't interesting, is the problem. (laughs) Like, they resolve the love triangle in the least interesting way possible, because it's like, oh, yeah, here are two people who've been in love this whole time. Now there's a third person who kind of, like, wants to get in on that. But he died. Yeah. So there's no, like, conflict there, right? Like, it would almost be more interesting if Dale died. um, Because then that would indicate, like, a change, right? (laughs) Um, And then the only other issue I really have with this movie is, like, Martha is probably one of the weaker female characters we've had in a Roger Corman movie so far. Like, she's fine. Um, She's about on the level of, like... Uh, heroine from like a Gilman movie where it's like, you know, she's a scientist in her own right. And like, she does stuff, you know, I d- does some exposition and like, whatever, you know, she's, she's fine. She's not like singled out by the crabs or anything like, you yeah. know, um, but she's, she doesn't have quite the like strength or like interesting character traits of another Roger Corman, like heroine. That was actually something that was kind of missing from the movie overall was like, the sort of weird, interesting human qualities of characters in previous Corman movies. But that's almost because like this movie's like a fucking slasher movie with giant crabs. Like the movie's like, no, here's 10 characters. And like one of them is going to die every five minutes mm-hmm. for the rest of this movie. Yeah. More um, like a pincher movie than slasher. Cause sure. Cause they don't slash. Yeah. Got it. Um, you mentioned in the context setting how they really wanted every scene to feel suspenseful if mm-hmm. there was no action. Mm-hmm. And I think they pulled that off mainly because of the music. Mm. The music worked really well with maintaining that suspense. It also helped you gloss over the more ridiculous parts of the movie. Sure. <laughs> definitely one of those movies though where like the ridiculous parts add to the fun rather than sink it yeah yeah and like there there's no one turning to the camera to be like what that's ridiculous um (sighs) but you also like i think the reason it kind of works is because no one's trying to be like no really this is science i think the (laughs) you know you'd think that the most audacious thing would be trying to pull off giant crabs for 400 bucks each but probably the craziest thing in this movie that it tries to pull off with its nothing budget is the idea that the island is like disintegrating under their feet. Yeah. The way so that it, much stock footage. The way, well, yeah, there's a ton of stock footage of like earthquakes and, and, and rock slides and things like that. But like the way that they try to indicate that like the island's getting smaller or like being destroyed is like the first time, let's say they leave the house, they have to like go down a path all the way to the beach And then the next time they go down the path and then there's like a pit where it just sort of drops off. And then the next time they go out and there's just like the the beach is right there outside the house. And there's no like really like scenes of like the island coming apart in such a way. Like you don't see the pit get formed because all the pit is, is it's just like a real world like cliff cliff in like Bronson Canyon somewhere that they just went to and pretended like this is a brand new pit. It's, it's like going to the beach and being like, Oh my God, the islands fallen into the ocean. And it's like, no, this is just the The beach beach that has been here the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's kind of a clever way to have the B movie 
issue of walking everywhere or retreading steps, like going from A to B to A to B again, mm-hmm. um, because that route is different every time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because the island's falling apart. Yeah. But it's it's just kind of a hilarious, like, low-budget... Lamp shading? Yes. <laughs> well, it's... Yeah. Ben, you mentioned this as we were watching the movie. I guess American soldiers uh, who served in the Pacific when they were on islands were often beset by crabs. Yeah, this comes up, like, early on when, like, they first come to the island and there's some, like, regular crabs. There aren't giant crabs. And one of the characters, I think it's Hank... He like tosses a rock at a crab and someone's like, Hey, why are you doing that? And he's like, Oh, I hate crabs. They're gross. And (laughs) like, you know, the seamen are like, yeah, crabs, crabs will eat you alive. Like kind of thing. And yeah, it was the, the problem was that like American soldiers would get like stationed on these like podunk, nothing Pacific islands. And then like crabs would come and like attack their camps because their camps were like full of like food food and stuff. Right. And so they were like these gross pests and so one of the things you have to understand when you watch this movie is that there was like a generation of men coming out of World War II who like, I don't want to go so far as to suggest they had like a phobia of crabs, but for whom like... The they already s- had kind of a hatred of them. Well, like, yeah, for whom like crab would equal like weird, like, you know, it's like take a rat, right? Like a, a pest that's going to come after your food and is kind of gross. Then, you know, give it the alien armor of a crustacean and then like the fucking eight legs of a spider and the pincers of a scorpion and then be like and now here's millions of them and they're super hungry and they'll come for you in the night or whatever right so like and suddenly crabs are scary i think we don't really think of crabs as scary inherently because we just sort of see them like waddle around and go like that's what that's goofy they're yeah. goofy. Um, so I think that's an important like context to understand of like, why would you make crabs into the monster in a horror movie? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of neat to note. Uh, the other thing you noticed during the movie is that Dale looks like a combination of Timothy Dalton and Gary Cooper. Yes. Which weirded me out. Um, and Hank uh, looks a lot like Josh Charles, who played Will Gardner on The Good Wife, if that name gives more recognition to people so much so that it's distracting yeah hank is played by the guy who goes on to be the professor in gilligan's island which makes all the scenes in this movie where he has to like fix the radio or like rig up the electric trap for the crabs or whatever very funny to me because he's absolutely on a island here rigging up bullshit nonsense (laughs) Um, (laughs) just fix the hole in the boat right overall this movie is great fun and it won't bore you like it it keeps stuff happening for the 60 minutes that it's on like it does not wear out its welcome it's a fine way to spend an hour <laughs> yeah i will say when you were first describing their approach as wanting there to be a lot of action um i was worried like will this end up being a horror movie it's definitely a horror movie oh yeah <laughs> Like, even without the decapitation within the first five minutes, like, it's a horror movie. Yeah, everybody, everybody dies. Yeah, except for the breeding couple. If they they get rescued. If they get rescued, they are presumed dead. So, yeah, I think this definitely goes on the list. Um, I have kind of a range of around seven spots. Oh, Um, thank God. I hope it's inside mine. Okay, well, what is yours? So I had a really hard time coming up with a range for this movie, Sarah. Yeah, it's quite something. Um, Because the the trap I fell into is like really liking this movie and enjoying it and liking that it was just like all killer, no filler and that the crabs like eat people and decapitate people and people get their hands chopped off and there's blood and there's gore and planes explode and like an island is destroyed. Like there's always something happening and I enjoyed it. And so many, so many of the movies we watch for this show don't have enough things that happen in them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, so that put it like head and shoulders above all these other movies. On the other hand, this movie looks like, you know, if I could get someone I know who's like really crafty to like make me a big paper mache crab, I could like go to like Lake Bonavista Park and like shoot this movie in a weekend with some (laughs) friends and it would look 
just as good as this. So it's like, how do you balance the fact that like this movie knows how to overcome its limitations by making a movie that isn't going to bore you Mm -hmm. with the fact that like there are tons of movies on this list that have like less stuff that happens and aren't as like interesting to watch, but are much better made. How do you, how do you balance that? So I looked for our last Corman movie. It conquered the world. Oh, I started there as well. Uh, that's sitting at 48 and I think it conquered the world is much better than this. It has a better script. It has better like ideas. Um, it has better performances from the actors. Like none of the stuff in this movie that I just said is terrible. But it's sort of, you know, like the difference between a good episode of Star Trek and a good like Godzilla movie. Like they're different, (laughs) like there are different inherent quality levels there, you know? (laughs) Sure. Um, So I thought A Conquered the World was probably better. So I started looking beneath that and I was looking for, you know, okay, where do I hit a point where it's like I stop seeing movies where it's like this is definitely better. So my ceiling became number 64 revenge of the creature because revenge of the creature is exciting and below revenge of the creature is like house of dracula house of frankenstein frankenstein meets the wolfman all the monster rally movies none of which are as exciting as you want them to be Mm -hmm. they just kind of are there and they never feel like they're doing enough with their premise as they should right like House of Dracula is a movie that has Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein's monster, a hunchback, a mad scientist, all in one movie. And you watch it and you're like, and that's the movie you chose to make? Whereas this is a movie called Attack of the Crab Monsters. And you get that. You absolutely. And it turns out the crab monsters are telepathic and absorb the intelligence of the people they eat and can (laughs) shoot fucking radioactive lightning from their claws and like all kinds of crazy shit. So I figured like, okay. I think my ceiling here is Revenge of the Creature because above that you have like It Came From Outer Space and Amazing Mr. X movies that are probably better. And then I tried to find a floor. You know, what is this movie definitely better than? And that's where I really started to run into that trouble of like, I enjoy this movie more, but there are movies that are much better made than this. Sure. And so I ended up with my floor all the way down at number 137. That is a huge range, Ben. Exactly. Exactly. Um, because 136 is The Unknown, which is a really well done Todd Browning movie that's just really weird and gross and disturbing. And it's like, why would anyone make this movie? And beneath <laughs> that is a movie, The Invisible Ray, which is about Karloff wanting revenge on Lugosi or Lugosi wanting revenge on Karloff. It's, I think it's Lugosi on Karloff and using a he ray He has a to ray gun. It. He has yeah. a laser gun that melts things. And that should be cool. And somehow that movie is super boring. Um, So I was like, this is definitely better than that. Um, So I ended up with this massive shotgun of a range and I had no idea what to do with this movie. So I'm hoping that you can help. Okay. I think I can. Okay. So like you, I started by looking at It Conquered the World. Also like you, I considered It Conquered the World better. So then I looked down and I found my floor first okay um my floor is right in around these monster rally movies uh house of dracula house of frankenstein frankenstein meets the wolfman and the reason for that is those movies carry a lot of baggage like especially frankenstein meets the wolfman and they are really bogged down by it Mm. um out of these uh house of dracula does the best with dealing with all of that baggage Thinking about the way that they handle that compared to the exposition and setup and everything that's done in Attack of the Crab Monsters, I think Crab Monsters is done better. Sure. Crab Monsters is always moving forward. Even if someone is like explaining to you what the crabs are or what happened to the first team that came here or whatever, it never feels like the movie has to stop. Yeah. to make those explanations. It feels like the movie's still moving forward. So my floor was 65, okay. House of Dracula, which um, is right below your ceiling. Mm-hmm. I'll just mention that my ceiling was The Black Room, another yeah. movie that was quite tight, um, but is just so much better. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so my range was 58 to 65, but I think given 
your ceiling and my floor. We could probably just slot this in underneath of Avenge of the Creature and above House of Dracula. I think that makes total sense. Yeah. All right. Then coming in at the new number 65 is Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957, directed by Roger Corman. Our first film from 1957, and definitely not our last. No. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the many episodes we've mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or reach out over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, or just, you know, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts if you subscribe through our RSS feed. If you'd like to help the show out, you can do so by leaving a rating or a review on one of those services, by sharing the show with your friends or over social media, or by heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Mm -hmm. Patrons at the higher levels of $5 and $10 get access to regular bonus content. Speaking of bonus content, um, I have been thinking about revisiting some of my earliest encounters with gothic fiction Mm. and media. Mm. Um, So uh, coming up this month at the $10 level, there's going to be a review of the 1993 The Secret Garden coming up from me and part of that is because i recently watched it for a uh, guest spot i'm doing on a podcast called why this film where you revisit movies from your childhood very cool so once again that's patreon.com slash scream scene podcast so what are we watching next week ben well next week we're watching the other half of the double bill oh. so we'll be watching not of this earth directed by roger corman sure this later half was more critically acclaimed, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. it's generally considered to be the better movie, but Attack of the Crab Monsters is considered to be the reason why the double feature was financially successful. <laughs> That's fair, you know. Well, we will see you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.